Good morning to you all. If you haven't done so yet, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. It is good to see you here. Those of you who have come today uh, to join us at Riverview Baptist Church, if you're maybe online at home, welcome. It's good to have you here as well as we go to God's Word together uh, this morning. We are wrapping up the book of Philippians today. We've been studying the book of Philippians all the way since uh, September earlier this year, and it's taken us about 13 weeks to get through this book, and we're going to bring it to a close today and see what Paul has to say in his final words in the book of Philippians. Next week, we're going to be starting our Advent series, so we want to invite you back to Riverview for this Christmas season as it comes and as we go through it here and try to meet our Lord here uh, this week or every week on Sunday mornings in his word, so please join us for that. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, as Pastor Levi preached one of his messages, he said that he, he noted that the book of Philippians actually has a lot of very well-known, very famous passages and verses in it. And that is absolutely true. There are a lot of verses that are very well-known, very often quoted, very often used. And one of those we get to today. In fact, I think you could make an argument that Philippians 4.13 is probably one of the most well-known verses, not just in the book of Philippians, but in the entire New Testament. And as such, it's also one of the most misunderstood verses, I think, in the New Testament as well. If you're not familiar, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And this is an important verse as it regards this passage that Pastor Richard just led, uh, read just a minute ago. And it's also important because it is such a well-known verse and it's so often misunderstood. Let me give you a couple examples of what I mean by misunderstanding this verse in particular. For example, there was a, a couple of years ago an MMA fighter, which stands for Mixed Martial Arts, named John Jones, uh, who had this verse, Philippians 4.13, tattooed on his chest to remind him that he could do anything through Christ who strengthens him. You can't really see it in the picture there, but if you look at his right shoulder, you can see the PH there. It says Philippians 4.13 on his chest. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, including pummeling my opponents to a bloody pulp. Surely that's what Jesus meant, right? When he inspired Paul to write those words. Or there's Steph Curry, a more well-known athlete. I'm sure many of you have heard of Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors basketball team. He writes this verse reference on every pair of shoes that he wears in every game that he plays for the Golden State Warriors, presumably because he believes that Christ strengthens him to shoot three-pointers. Well, in fact, Curry has actually said as much about why he puts this verse on his shoes. Here's what he says. He says, quote, It's a Bible verse I wear on my shoe. It's also my mantra, how I get up for games and why I play the way that I do. Now, is that what Paul means by I can do all things through him who strengthens me? That Jesus will strengthen you to shoot three-pointers or to accomplish this or that or to do this or that? Is that what Paul is getting at here? Spoiler alert, no. <laughs> That is not what he means by this. Well, then what does this verse really mean? We're going to get into that today as we look at this verse in the context of these closing verses of Philippians 4 and the closing verses of the entire book of Philippians. But in order to set up this verse, we need to remember something about the context of what is happening behind the scenes in the book of Philippians. Remember, it is written by the Apostle Paul uh, as he's rotting away in a jail cell. This is, in fact, one of a few books in the New Testament that Paul wrote while he was in jail, imprisoned for his faith. 
And so as such, when you're in jail, you have some pretty basic needs that you need met. I mean, duh, right? Some basic needs that you can't have met uh, when you're in jail as opposed to being free and outside in the world. So Paul has some needs being in jail. For instance, he doesn't have a way to produce income while he's in prison, so of course he needs money because the world doesn't stop just because you're in jail. Things still cost money. Also, the food in the jail that he's staying in is probably less than appetizing, so it would be good to have some fresh and normal food. And also, while he's locked up, he's passing the time writing letters to the churches that support his ministry. But where does he get his writing materials from? So Paul has needs. He needs physical and material resources as he's there in jail. And as we close out the letter to the Philippians, Paul acknowledges the role that the Philippians have played in helping to provide for him. So look at verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So Paul rejoices because they have revived their concern for him, meaning that they have started once again to provide for him in one of these ways, financially maybe, or with food, or writing materials, or whatever Paul needs, the Philippians have said, we will help to meet those needs Apparently, they've always cared about him, but they haven't always had the opportunity to support him and to provide for him, and we're not sure why that was. Maybe they didn't have a way to get the support to him. Maybe they couldn't collectively afford to support him in some kind of way, but whatever the the case was, there was a time where they were supporting him, and then that support kind of dropped off, and now, Paul says, they have revived their concern for him, and they've begun to support him again. But there's something very important we need to realize Although the Philippians only now started supporting Paul again, that does not mean that when they weren't supporting him, that Paul was in need. Because Paul has learned and held on to a very valuable secret. Look at verse 11. He says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So Paul has been in all kinds of different situations in his life. He has had those mountaintop experiences where he's on top of the world, and he's also had those down in the valley of the shadow of death times when nothing is going right. He's had times when he's had everything he's needed and more, and times when he's had to go hungry, and he's been in severe need. But the remarkable thing is that he says that in exactly zero of those situations has he ever been in what he would call need. I don't really need anything that I don't have. And so at the end of verse 12, he says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, I don't know about you, but what jumped out to me right away as I read that is that there is a secret to facing hunger and need. Well, duh, of course. Those things are not easy to face. It's difficult to not have what you need. It's hard not to have the food you need to function today. It's hard to face those challenges. But look at what Paul says. He says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. In other words, just because you have abundance doesn't mean things are easy. 
In fact, sometimes having an abundance can be a threat to our souls. Because you know what happens in those times where everything's going great and I have everything I could ever ask for. You know what happens to us in those times? We are tempted to say, then who needs God? (laughs) If I have everything I need and everything I want, then who needs God? Look what I've done for myself. Look at all the abundance I've created for myself. It's easy to forget about God's sovereignty and providence in times of abundance. This is why I think Jesus says that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a wealthy person to enter heaven. Not because there's something inherently evil about being wealthy, but that people who have an abundance are inclined to put their trust in their abundance rather than in God. This is also why any gospel message that only focuses on material blessings is ultimately irrelevant. Because think about it, if you tell a rich person that if he comes to know Christ, he'll have all of his needs met and he will find satisfaction and fulfillment, he'll look around at all of his abundance and he'll say, "Uh, no thanks. I already have all of my needs met and I'm perfectly satisfied and fulfilled by all the things that I have. I don't need your Savior for that. And the point that Paul is making is that we should not presume that times of need cause suffering and times of abundance are blessings. The abundance could be more problematic than the needs. But listen, what Paul says is that he has learned the secret for facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, what is that secret that he's talking about? He says, I've learned the secret. Well, what's the secret? What is it that makes Paul content no matter what comes his way? That's the money question that we want to answer this morning. Listen, the secret to Paul's contentment is trust. Trusting in the sovereign God who knows better than even you do about what you need. And whether he provides an abundance or merely a scrap of bread, you can be content that he is watching over you and providing everything you need for your situation. You see, contentment doesn't come from what you have, but from trusting the God who provides. Let me repeat that, because that is so important. Contentment does not come from what you have, but from trusting the God who provides. So if Paul is in a time of need, he can be content that God will supply his needs. And if he's in a time of abundance, he can thank God for his provision. And if Paul has everything he needs, he can praise God for his provision. And if he is hungry, he can trust that God will provide. Either way, he knows that God is sovereign. He knows that God is in control, and no matter what Paul has or doesn't have, it comes from God according to God's good will and his good purposes. And so he just rests in that knowledge. That's the secret, folks. Trust. Trusting in your sovereign God. Every week, some of you may or may not know this, I teach, I have the privilege of teaching the middle school Sunday school class. And what we're studying this year is the providence of God. And every week I ask the kids, what does providence mean? And are any of my students in here today? No one's going to raise their hand because they don't want me to call on them. <laughs> Andrew is back there. Do you know what providence mean, Andrew? means? Say it really loud. 
Good. Did you hear him? God is watching over the universe and God is working in the universe. That's basically what providence means. When we talk about God's providence, we're talking about him watching over everything that he has created, being intimately familiar and involved with everything that he has created, and also his hand working in what he has created, providing for what he has created, sustaining what he has created. That's what God's providence means. And that is why Paul is content. Because he trusts that God, that God of providence, who has created everything that we see, and he maintains it, and he provides for it, and he sustains it. And Paul sees that, and it fills him with contentment, whether he's in jail or whether he's free. Because God will provide for me. That's what he knows and that's what he believes. Again, even as he's rotting away in a jail cell. And he knows that if God is powerful enough to provide for him in whatever situation he finds himself, he can trust him. That is the secret to contentment, folks. Knowing and trusting that God is your provider no matter where you are or what's happening. Do you have that contentment that Paul had? Again, as he was in jail, not the most pleasant of circumstances. But he says, I have a secret. My God is good, and he provides whatever I need no matter where I am. That's the secret, and so I'm content. Do you share that contentment? Or do you maybe find yourself worrying a lot, anxious? Oh, what am I going to do? What are we going to do about this? Not that those things aren't important, but trust your God. Trust your God who is intimately involved in this world, who sees you exactly where you are. His eye is watching over you, and his hand is working in your situation to care for you, to provide for you. He knows exactly where you are, the specific needs that you have. And if you can trust that God, you will find the same secret that Paul found, the secret of contentment to know that no matter where I am, God will provide. And this is what leads Paul to this conclusion about himself in our famous verse, verse 13. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now again, this verse isn't telling us what we can do when it comes to sports, right? It's not guaranteeing us that we'll be a good fighter or a good basketball shooter. It's not telling us what we can achieve personally as far as our goals are concerned, It's not teaching us that Jesus will strengthen strengthen us to accomplish whatever we want, but rather that he will strengthen us to be content with whatever he gives. Again, let me repeat that because that's so important. Paul is not saying in Philippians 4.13 that Jesus will strengthen you to accomplish whatever you want, but that Jesus will strengthen you to be content in whatever situation you find yourselves. Now that's a huge and incredibly important distinction between those two. Because what Paul is saying is that Jesus empowers him to find contentment in the sovereign will of God even as he rots away in jail. Not because he can accomplish victory over his prison guards or shoot a three-pointer or anything like that, but because he can be content to sit in jail because that's what God has ordained for him to do. And he says, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. And so I'm content right here in this prison cell. So again, I would, I would ask you, where do you find yourself this morning? In a, or maybe you're in abundance today. 
Praise the Lord for his provision. And don't be tempted to, to put your trust in those provisions rather than in your God. Maybe you find yourself this morning in a time of need. Put your trust in that providing God. Learn the secret that Paul has found to trust in your sovereign God who cares for you and who will provide for you. That's the secret, folks. And it can be yours. You can learn that secret in Christ. So, again, as Paul says, it's good that the Philippians have started to support Paul again, and he is absolutely grateful for their support. He says, you know, I'm I'm grateful that you've revived your concern for me. So he's very thankful for their support, but he wants them to know that he doesn't need their support, right? Because he has learned this secret of contentment. So Philippians, thank you for your gift. I appreciate it, but I want you to know that even if you didn't send it, I am being cared for. I don't have a need because I have that secret of trusting my God. Now, if I were one of those Philippians and I was reading this verse, I would say, hey, what gives, man? You know, I I dug deep to make an offering to you, Paul, and you're telling me you don't need it? Uh, You're content without my gift? Well, maybe you'd be content to send it back. (laughs) Because I'm sure some of these Philippians probably dug deep. They maybe even gave sacrificially in order to uh, uh, provide for Paul here. And I think that's a legitimate question. If we are to be content in God's sovereign will and providence, right? if God's people across the world are to be content in God's sovereign will and providence, then why do we give give money to them? Why do we support missionaries? Why do we give to the local church? Because we we could all just say, well, we're just going to trust God to provide. And would God provide if everybody here, nobody gave a cent to this church? Would God provide? Yes. He would because he's a sovereign, powerful God who will provide our needs. But here's what Paul is getting at, and what he's going to talk about in this next section. You are the way, you are the tool God uses to provide. God has promised to provide, and he uses people to carry out his provision. Again, Paul didn't need the Philippians to support him, and God didn't need the Philippians to support Paul. God was clearly providing for Paul in other ways. Go back to verse 11. You can see that there. So our motivation for giving to others is not need-based, and that might sound weird, but the reason we give financially, the reason we give of our time and our resources is not based on need primarily. Rather, it's based on a desire to be obedient to God. You see, the point is that God commands us to give, and by doing so, we participate in his providence. Yes, God provides for people because he is the sovereign God of the universe. And as part of that provision, God has chosen for whatever reason, he didn't need to do this, but he has chosen for whatever reason to use people to carry out his will on earth. You know what we said? God is watching over the universe. His hand is working in the universe. Part of the way God's hand works in the universe is by sending you to meet needs of other people by giving to ministry, by supporting missionaries, and so on. That's God's providence working through you. So you see, if you understand this secret that Paul is talking about, that we can be content in any and every situation because we trust in our providing God, then that should shape the way you and I think about giving when we talk about giving money or providing for other people. That whole secret that we learned in these previous verses should shape how we think about giving. See, if we are trusting that God will supply the needs of his people, 
then that should change the way we think about giving in that we get to participate in what God is doing in the world. That's exactly what happens with the Philippians. You see, when you give, when you participate in what God is doing in the world, sure, other people benefit, right? When you give to missionaries, the missionaries benefit. Their budgets are met and they can carry out their ministry wherever they are in the world. But listen, I'm going to argue to you today that that is not the primary purpose of giving. I think God is doing just as much in you, if not more in you, than he is in the people who receive your gift. God is growing you through your giving, and that's what he's going to show the Philippians here. Look at verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. You see, you know what happens when we give? When we give to people, when we support God's work in the world, certainly other people benefit, but something happens in us too. You know what happens? We produce the fruit of obedience. God has said, here's what I'm doing in the world and I want you to join with me. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to give. I want you to serve. You know, fill in the blank, whatever it is. That is what God is doing in the world. And he's chosen to include us in that. And when we say yes to that invitation, we're producing the fruit of obedience. That's what Paul is saying is what's happening with the Philippians here. They're supporting Paul in the ministry. And the Philippians are the ones who benefit because they're participating in what God is doing in the world. God says, I'm going to support Paul. And by my my wisdom and my will, I'm going to choose the Philippians to be the, the, the vehicle, the vessel through which my support comes to Paul. And in the process, the Philippians say, yes, Lord, we want to be a part of that. And they respond in obedience. And so they are the ones who are growing. Now, does Paul benefit? He does. But so do the Philippians as the givers. Now, how cool is that? right? To know that God is at work in this world. He is doing things. He is up to things in this world. And for whatever reason, he has chosen little old me to get involved in it. How cool is that? How much of an opportunity and a privilege is that for the God of the universe to call your name and said, I'm going to use you. I want you to be involved in what I am doing in the world. Our response to that, guys, should be, really, Lord? Me? What can I do? I'm not big. I'm not powerful. And God says, I know. I am, though. And I'm going to use you, and my power is going to flow through you to accomplish what I want to accomplish in this world. You see, God doesn't need us. He's more than capable to to accomplish his purposes without us. But he has invited us to participate with him in what he is doing in the world. And when we say yes to that invitation, God uses us and that produces the fruit of obedience in our lives. That's what happens with the Philippians. And I think that is the main thing on Paul's radar here. Right? When he talks about, you know, they've revived their concern for him, they've provided for him, that's all well and good. But what he is most concerned about is what that is doing in them. And he says, I, I'm, I'm super glad, I'm joyful. It's another reason to rejoice, even here in prison, because I see what you guys are doing, and it's produced fruit in you, to see God using you. 
Look at it. So if you look at verse 17, he says, not that I seek the gift. I don't seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. See, there's a bigger benefit to the Philippians by participating in what God is doing in the world than there is to Paul by being the recipient of God's provision. So I want you to think about that. Why do we give? Why do we give to ministry? Why do we give to missions? Why do we give of our time and our energy and our resources? Why do we do that? It's not primarily to meet a need. It's primarily to be obedient to what God is doing, how he has invited us to be a part of what he is doing, to produce that fruit. Second, Paul says that we give to glorify God here. We've, so we've already established that God doesn't need us to give, but that he invites us to participate in his mission in the world through giving. And when we say yes to that, not only do we have the privilege of being a part of that mission, but our obedience brings glory to God. Look at verse 18. Paul says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So Paul receives their gift, and it absolutely meets his need. They have accepted God's invitation to be his vessels, to meet Paul's need, and now he is well supplied and provided for. But look at how Paul describes their gift to him. What does he say? He says, it's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, this Thursday, I don't know about you, but there is going to be a lot of wonderful food cooked in my house, and it's going to smell amazing. I can't wait for it. I love Thanksgiving. The turkey, the stuffing, the mashed potatoes, the pies, right? All kinds of amazing smells in our homes. And the language that Paul uses here when he describes their gift as a, a pleasing, or excuse me, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, he's hearkening back to the, the sacrificial system of ancient Israel, where God told his people that when they sacrificed animals, and they burned parts of them on the altar, that the smoke of that offering would go up to heaven metaphorically and would enter into his nostrils, and it would be a pleasing aroma uh, to the Lord. It would be a fragrant offering, a scent that was acceptable and pleasing to him. Just like the scent of Thanksgiving dinner being cooked. It's a pleasing aroma. I love to smell it. I'm even looking forward to it as I think about it. And that's all the way Paul describes the gift that the Philippians give. They have revived their concern for him. They, they've said, Lord, use me in what you're doing in the world. And he has directed them to, to support Paul's ministry. And Paul says that support from them glorifies God like this pleasing aroma from a sacrifice going up. And it smells wonderful to God. And this is why we all can and we should celebrate a holiday like Thanksgiving this week. No matter how you're going to celebrate with all the new COVID restrictions, we celebrate to glorify God. No matter what your circumstances are, no matter what you, where you are or what needs you have, we glorify God that he has provided for us and we show that, we, we give him that glory by participating with him in what he's doing in the world. Now, let's be frank though. Sometimes giving is hard. Sometimes it's indeed an act of faith because we may not have much to give and giving the little that we do have can have serious repercussions in the rest of our lives. In other words, sometimes giving hurts. Sometimes we give sacrificially. 
But again, this gets back to what Paul said earlier in this passage. We can be content even to give sacrificially because we know the secret. We trust the God who is watching over our lives and working in the world to provide for us. And that is what is pleasing to God and what brings him the most glory. When God sends us out and no matter what our circumstances are, we respond in faith and say, Lord, make me a vessel. And Lord, no matter what I do or what I, how much I give, whether it's my money or my uh, energy or my time, Lord, you will provide. I trust that. And Paul says that is that pleasing aroma to God that brings him glory. And then Paul piggybacks on that idea in verse 19. He says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Another very well-known passage. You see, a third reason we give is to show our trust in God, to show that we have learned that same secret to contentment that Paul talks about. Because the reality is that Paul realized that in order to send him their gift, some of those Philippians probably had to dig deep. They probably had to give sacrificially. Maybe they had to give the money that they had been saving for a rainy day. Maybe that money they'd been saving for a year or more. And Paul acknowledges that giving can sometimes be difficult. Giving takes faith. But here's what he says in the next breath. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, if you believe that and you respond accordingly to God's invitation to participate in what he's doing in the world, do you know what that is? That's the secret, folks. That's the secret. That's being content in what God has provided and knowing that no matter how I join him in his mission in this world, he will always provide for me because he has riches of glory in Christ Jesus that he can draw from to give to me, to provide for me. And so now I can give. I can invest my time and my energy into what God is doing in the world because I can always trust him to provide. I have learned the secret to being content. You know, when I was a kid, I learned a song. I don't remember when I learned it, or I don't think it was in a Sunday school class, but it was a song called Jehovah Jireh. We haven't sung that in, I don't know, decades here at, at the church. It's definitely an older hymn. You remember that song? Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace is sufficient for me. I can hear some of you singing it out there. Yeah. That was one of my favorite songs because it had the clap in the middle. <laughs> Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Yeah. Do you know where that name Jehovah Jireh comes from, though? It harkens back to the book of Genesis. When Abraham was set to sacrifice Isaac on the altar, but God stopped him and provided a ram for him to sacrifice instead of Isaac. And after that whole experience, Abraham named that place Jehovah Jireh. Or in English, that means the Lord will provide. But there's an even better translation, more literal translation of that name than the Lord will provide. A better translation of Jehovah Jireh is, the Lord will see to it. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will see to it. Folks, that is the secret that those in Christ have. That's why we can be content, because we believe the Lord will see to it. And that's why you don't have to worry about this life. Do you have a need? The Lord will see to it. Remember that secret that you have learned in Christ. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will see to it. 
Are you worried about this or that situation in your life? Remember the secret, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will see to it. Are you worried about something going on over that's totally out of your control? Remember the secret of contentment, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will see to it. And if you can remember that secret and live in light of that secret that belongs to you, then you will be free to give, you will be free to serve, you will be free to do whatever you want or can for the Lord because it's not about you, it's about Him and He will provide for you. But how do we know that God will provide for all of our needs? Well, if I may, He's already proven that He can provide for our needs, whatever they are, because He's already provided for our greatest need. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You see, God already provided for your greatest need, reconciliation with him, which he delivered by sending his son to die on a cross. What greater need could you possibly have? And as such, uh, you, ha- you have a need that you have no hope of, of ever fulfilling on your own to be reconciled with God. It's totally beyond the bounds of what you can do. Only God can meet that need, and he did according to his riches and glory. And so if he could meet that need, it's only logical that he can meet and will meet any need that you have. So the primary purpose for God reviving a concern for Paul among the Philippians wasn't to provide for Paul. It was to grow the Philippians in their walk with Christ. And folks, it's the same today. God calls you to partner with him in what he is doing in the world as a means of carrying out his will on earth. And he also uses that, that invitation to you, to grow you, to make you more like Jesus When you give, God accomplishes his purposes with it. And one of those purposes is to grow you, to grow you in generosity, to to get you to hold to the things of earth a little more loosely, to increase your trust in him as Jehovah Jireh. That's what God is doing. This is why when we collect an offering each week, we don't tell you to sow a seed or, or to dig deep, but rather to give as an act of worship. Give as an act of accepting God's invitation to be a part of what he is doing in the world. Give as an act of offering a pleasing and acceptable sacrifice to God. Give as a way of showing that you trust that Jehovah Jireh will see to your needs. When you give, don't think of it primarily as an opportunity to support others, although that is certainly happening, but think of it as a way for, you, for God to grow you for you to increase your dependence on your providing God. Now, as we close, you may recall that throughout this year, I've mentioned to you a few times that giving towards our church's mission goal this year has been a bit behind. And I've encouraged you to participate in what God is doing in the world through our missionary partnerships by giving to Riverview's Missions Fund. And I praise God that you have answered that call. We have now, at this time of the year, exceeded that missions giving goal with more than a month to go yet in the year. And missions given to, or excuse me, anything given to that fund over and above what our goal is will actually be a surplus for our missionaries. What a blessing for them. But more importantly, and this is the point of Philippians 4, what a blessing for us. 
What a blessing for our church. Those of you who give to Riverview, whatever amount you give, it doesn't matter. God invited you to participate with him and his work in the world, and you said yes. Lord, I want to be your vessel in this world as you carry out your purposes. Make me a vessel. Use me, God. Use me as you work in this world. And God has used your participation in his work to increase your spiritual fruit to your benefit. Just as Paul says it happened with the Philippians through their gift to him. Your giving giving has risen as a pleasing and acceptable sacrifice to God. See, giving doesn't just do something for others, but also for the giver. God is working in those who receive and those who give. And in everything else, remember the secret of your contentment in Christ. God is watching over you, and he will provide for you. These are Paul's closing words to the Philippians and to us. Let's believe them and walk in that truth. Let's pray. Our Father God, Lord, we thank you that you are a missionary God, that you are at work in this world carrying out your purposes, carrying out your plan. And Lord, it's such an unbelievable fact of reality that you have called us to be a part of what you are doing in this world. Lord, you have chosen in your wisdom to use us, frail and weak as we are, Lord. There is no power in us, no ability in us to carry out your plans. But Lord, you have chosen to use us. So God, I ask that you would use us powerfully. Lord, that you would invite, continue that invitation to us to join you on mission in what you are doing in this world. And Lord, that you would give us the grace to say yes Lord, like Isaiah, here I am. Use me. Send me, Lord, into the world. God, may we do powerful things in your name and according to your purposes. Lord, may people come to know that God dwells amongst us and that he uses us as his people to carry out his purposes in the world. And Lord, we ask that not only for the sake of of your will being carried out on earth as it is in heaven, but Lord, also for our sake. God, that you would grow us through our obedience, that you would grow us through our desire to serve you, to give for you, to pour out ourselves for you. Lord, help us to say yes. Help us to echo those words of Isaiah. Here I am, Lord, send me. Lord, so that you might be glorified. Lord, that we might become more like Jesus. God, build this faith in us, this level of trust. Give us that secret of contentment, knowing that no matter where we are, you are there watching over us. Your hand is working in the world to provide for us. So Lord, that whatever situation we're in, whether in abundance or need, we might have the contentment of Christ knowing that you are God and that you have fulfilled our greatest need and so there is no limitation on your power. God bless us with these truths today. We ask in your name, amen.